Across the street from the building where we live, there is a small parish church with a big front yard. And every December, they set up a live nativity scene and staff it with volunteers uh, from the parish. It's a very low-fi production with very little concern for accuracy or theater. I mean, the dogs are dressed as sheep. Joseph is wearing glasses. Mary is like 42 years old. And the Magi, always a spectacle at live nativities, are in costume robes, plastic royal crowns, and dad sneakers. But they do serve hot chocolate inside, so it renders all of those anachronisms insignificant, if you ask me. And who were these magi that made their way into the nativity story? How did they get there? Who were they? And what do they mean to the story itself? There are miracles Today is January the 6th, a day on the church calendar known as the Epiphany. It is the day after the 12th day of Christmas, and it marks the beginning of something new in the story of Jesus. In a technical sense, Epiphany refers to the manifestation of Jesus to the Gentile world, exampled by the story of the Magi making their way to see the Christ child. That is Epiphany's central text. And the Magi, as we'll see... They don't belong to the religious tradition of Mary and Joseph. They are outsiders. They are dressed in strange and foreign ideas about the universe. They are exotic. They're kind of suspect. Yet, they hold a place in the story and they have a seat at the table. Joan Chittister describes the whole scene this way, saying, The world recognizes the heavenly in this tiny child, and the child recognizes the people of God in them. This is not a Christian child only. This child belongs to the world. Holding a little child's hand I see trees, trees We hear about the Magi's story in the Gospel of Matthew. He writes, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now a couple of things. The Magi weren't kings. We don't even know if there were two or three or twenty of them at the scene, and we certainly don't know their names. These are all inventions with their own origins in church history, and they played a significant role in muting what's really going on in the story. What we do know is this. The Magi were an ancient subgroup of Persian priests serving in the cabinet of whoever the ruler of the day happened to be. They had access, like a press pass, to various centers of power, which helps make some sense of their ability to walk right into Herod's presence. Now, their affinity with astrology has made them famous, but their use of such a practice often left them shunned, 
even feared. They interpreted the movements in the skies against events that were taking place on earth, making predictions about the rising and the falling of rulers and kingdoms, and ancient historians and philosophers weren't always convinced. Tacitus, who lived into the second century, called the Magi absurd. The Stoic philosopher Seneca, who lived into the late first century, said of the Magi, Quote, on even the slightest motion of heavenly bodies hang the fortunes of nations, and the greatest and smallest happenings are to accord with the progress of a kindly or unkindly star. He made fun of the Magi's ongoing prediction of Emperor Claudius's death, pointing out that they had been calling it, quote, every year, every month. For some, the Magi's future-telling ways were unsettling. Emperor Tiberius, who ruled during the days of Jesus, had the Magi expelled from Rome, a move to eradicate the annoyances and fears that came with bad news. And it stirs my soul I see grandmas Blowing kisses into a brand I see grandpas The Magi's worldview was not looked upon with great approval from within many of the ancient Jewish communities either. They were strange and off-centered as a people, with weird views of how the universe worked. And to see the stars as divine messengers was not something the Hebrew people involved themselves in all that much. The sun, the moon, the stars, they were all considered gods in the ancient world, each with its own proper name. In the Genesis 1 narrative, they're simply called lights. It's a humorous demotion of their cultural and religious significance. And yet, here we are. Here they are. Right here in the nativity scene, Matthew tells us of how something in the night skies caused these religious and cultural and national outsiders to caravan themselves to Bethlehem to see Jesus. Something in the skies caught their attention and they acted on it. And most remarkably, Matthew retells the story not in a negative light, but in a positive light. Everyone sees the world through a certain window, a certain view of reality. The panes on the glass give framing to how we interpret the world around us and how we experience what we see during our days here on earth. And the windows are innumerable. We see and interpret the world around us through the windows of science, of philosophy, of religion, of atheism, of wellness, fear, control, politics, and too many more to mention. And the Magi themselves lived with a particular view of reality, and they gazed at the world through a certain window. In the story... God knocks on their window. It's that simple. It's also that scandalous. There's no correction of thinking or a call to change what they believed to be true about the world. God simply tapped on their window saying, in their own cosmic language, I want to show you something. 
I imagine a group of local psychics turning up in my church building on Easter Sunday saying, we got a really strange reading in the cards and it brought us here. Matthew's gospel account was written, the early Christian communities were becoming a kaleidoscope of people, a socially mixed bag of class and race and gender and political leanings. What started out as a solely Jewish movement soon became a more multi-layered testing ground for relationships across all sorts of societal dividing lines. As beautiful as that sounds on paper, it was not and is not an easy venture I'm sure you can relate. The learning curve on community with others who are different, even disliked, is steep and arduous. So much of the Apostle Paul's correspondence with churches in the New Testament focused on the practice of simply learning to live together in grace and in peace. In its history, the church has done much to bring separation to the world. In so many ways, she has been an agent of division instead of peace, birthing a general distrust in her ability to welcome all people. And in the face of this, Epiphany arrives as a disruption and a reminder of a different calling. The church year, the church calendar, the liturgical year, whatever you call it, is not random. All of the seasons flow together. And the paving stones of Lent that take us to Easter Sunday lay at the bottom of Epiphany's stairs. And it is a descent through the story of the universal Jesus and his open door policy for all who seek him. Before we even take one step on the Lenten road, we are handed the implications of the coming resurrection. In the Epiphany, we are clothed for the journey in the colors of love and invitation and of good news for all people. The Magi stand as a reminder to us to let the people in, to let them all in. May we do this. May we practice this. May we love this. Grace and peace. Enjoy the Epiphany season. Life is people, life is people In the space of a human face There's infinite variation 